U.S. national team is back in action, and I'm sure U.S. fans are excited about what they've already seen and what they're hoping to see this summer from this young group of extremely promising players. This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Kalarsep, and it is June. Can you believe it? It's already June. Where, where has this year gone? The year's flown by, but I know what a lot of people were waiting to see was this U.S. national team back in action and back with this new generation of players, youngsters, prospects that everybody wants to get a look at. Uh, the U.S. is obviously not playing in the World Cup, but it's time to start looking ahead to the next cycle, to that next group of players who will come in and replace the older generation that is on the way out. And I'll tell you what, folks, the early signs are pretty positive. We'll be talking about that. We'll talk about the U.S.'s recent win against Bolivia and preview this weekend's match against Ireland in Dublin. There's so many things to talk about. I know we missed an episode last week. My apologies for that. Uh, obviously, I was running around uh, with the U.S. national team last week when they were in Philadelphia. Wasn't able to get an episode in. We had to get this one in because I, I, I refused to miss two in a row. And I can tell you right now, folks, I do plan to start having more episodes, especially around the World Cup. I think we're going to have to knock out a couple a week, at least two a week, even if they're shorter, just to recap all the World Cup action and everything else going on in the world of soccer. Um, what else do we have going on? We have, for U.S. national team, we have the Hall of Fame, uh, the, recent, the recent announcement of the of the new class of 2018. There's definitely some stuff to dig into there. And then we obviously have MLS action. There's plenty to talk about in the MLS world. We have uh, Cincinnati securing an expansion team. And FC Cincinnati will begin play in MLS in 2019. Crazy to think how quickly things have happened there with the people in Cincinnati. And you know what? Give them a lot of credit because what they've done with that USL team and what the fans there have done supporting that team, you understand why MLS is in a hurry to get that team up and rolling. Uh, we also have to talk about Patrick Vieira and all the rumors about him potentially leaving NYCFC. As of right now, as of Friday, he's still the coach. We'll see if he makes the move or we'll see if he stays through the rest of the year. And then we'll preview week 14 uh, in MLS. Uh, it's it's an all interconference schedule. East versus East, West versus West, and some really important games as teams try to jockey for position as we get closer to the midway point of the season. And then we'll wrap things up with obviously uh, some international soccer talk. We have some European soccer to discuss. Obviously, Real Madrid winning the Champions League and everything that happened around that. Uh, international news uh, regarding my my team, Peru, uh, and, and, and their captain, Paulo Guerrero. We'll be getting into that as well. But first things first. We have to start with the national team. The U.S. national team returned to action. They beat Bolivia. They beat a, a young Bolivia team. Uh, I guess you could call them a Bolivia C team. Uh, in At Talon Energy Stadium, 3-0. Goals by Walker Zimmerman, uh, Timothy Weya, and Josh Sargent. And it was, a, it was a promising game. It was an interesting game. Good to see so many super young players get their opportunities. Dave Saragin, he clearly wanted to get a look at some of these young guys against the weakest of the opponents that the U.S. is going to face in this run of three friendlies. Up next, they have Ireland and France. Ireland is obviously a tougher opponent than this Bolivia C team that, that they played. And I keep calling it a Bolivia C team because it was not Bolivia's best players. It was basically a very young Bolivia team, and it was a team missing some of its best players because the Bolivian league is still in its in its playoffs uh playoff portion of the season so they couldn't get everybody for that game and you could kind of tell but just watching that that Bolivia team that it was it was a young team and didn't offer that much of a, th a challenge but it was a little something for for the the youngsters for the the, the teenagers uh, to get their feet wet uh and Tim Weah and Josh Sargent that took full advantage I thought they stood out uh and then also for me uh Anthony Robinson stood out at left back I know U.S. fans are always Always kind of clamoring for a, a good left back. I know the position has always been a, a really tough position to fill. But Anthony Robinson, the the Everton product, the uh, recent Bolton Loney, who's just coming off a, a pretty good season at Bolton, uh, he showed well. He showed well, and uh, you know he there were quite a few good performances. We could we could touch on so many. I mean, I think Weston McKinney showed the qualities that made him a regular for Schalke. Uh, Keaton Parks, a very intriguing player. When you talk about a six foot four central midfielder with very good feet, a good passing eye, he doesn't play like a six four player. He plays like a very skilled like five eight midfielder, and there's a reason for that. 
he had a growth spurt uh, pretty recently uh, when he was in high school. He was a junior in high school. He told me he was a five seven, I believe five seven five eight, and then and then in the, in the years since then he just sprouted up to six four, and and you see the quality that he brings. It's gonna it's gonna be great to see how he develops because he's still young, folks. He's still you know twenty years old. He and, and he. The talent is there. He only he only he got a few minutes in this Bolivia friendly, but for me, he was someone who who showed some good qualities there. Uh, and then obviously some of the familiar faces that that we know. I mean, Walker Zimmerman obviously did well. Uh, you know, Rubio Rubin was very active. But again, the opposition you don't you can't get too you can't get too crazy about uh, a performance like that against a team in Bolivia that really just wasn't up up for it. I mean, they would, I mean, they were they tried, but the quality wasn't there. Um, and again, not everybody played well for the U.S. I mean, I think it definitely goes, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out. Christian Pulisic did not necessarily play well. Uh, I know there was a lot of talk about fatigue and him looking tired and him coming to the end of his season. I have some thoughts on that that I'll probably get more into next week. But I mean, I think, I don't know if it was a case of him being tired or him just really not being all that interested in playing in that game. I think you know, he, I feel like he, he maybe he got a little bit of senioritis there where he, you know, he knows his his vacation's coming up. He knew for the longest time he wouldn't play in the friendlies in Europe. Uh, and for me, it's a little disappointing that, that he won't be there in, in Europe. And, and I'm sure it's easy to say, oh, well, he's tired. He's had a long season. Um, I mean, I, th- I feel like a lot of players around the world have had long seasons and are still playing in friendlies. So that one for me is a little disappointing that he didn't dominate, that he didn't, that didn't show more against Bolivia. It will be interesting to see what the next coach does as far as working with Christian Pulisic, figuring out where he best fits. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we'll get a little more into Pulisic next week. I, I think uh, I think there, there's more to discuss there on that front. But, again, it was a showcase for younger players. And the younger players, I thought, several of them definitely impressed. Up next, they have Ireland in Dublin on Saturday. And I can tell you right now, folks, much tougher opponent. And... I just finished writing a story for Goal.com, uh, kind of talking about how it was just three, a little more than three years ago that the U.S. went over, I think it was almost three and a half years ago, where the U.S. took a young team to Dublin and got absolutely shredded by Ireland 4-1. to And, you know, when you think about that game, for those who remember, that, that was during Jurgen Klinsmann's tenure. Uh, it was during a rough stretch of results for the U.S. A lot of, a lot of learning, a lot of growing pains there uh, from a young group, but... If I remember correctly, I think it was nine starters from the team that lost to Ireland in 2014 were part of the World Cup team. So it wasn't nearly as young a team as we're seeing go to Dublin now for this game. Now, of course, Ireland maybe isn't as good now as they were then, but Ireland is bringing you know some veteran players. So it's not like it's a Irish U23 team. It's a pretty decent Ireland team. They they are bringing some some of their more experienced players. So for, from that standpoint, I think it's going to be a tougher test. And, uh, you know, hopefully this U.S. team learns some lessons from that 2014 match. Uh, I mean, there's only three players on this team who were in that game in 2014. I think it was Bill Hamid. Uh, I believe DeAndre Yellen was another. And I think Rubio Urbin was another. So those are the only three players on this particular roster who were around for that 2014 friendly and, and hopefully they pass along the message to this young U.S. team that, listen, Ireland is not France. They don't have the star power of France, but Ireland's going to come to play. They're going to play hard. They're going to be physical. They're going to take the game to you. And if you don't respond accordingly, you're going to get over, you're going to get run over. And and what, what I will say is I think this group of players, this group of American players has an edge to it. There's definitely some toughness in this group. When you look at, uh, for me, in the midfield, you have Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams. I mean, Tyler Adams is a little pit bull. He might, he might, he call him the baby face assassin if you want, because uh, I tell you what, he he's he's very uh, a very tough player, and so is McKinney. And then in the back, I think you're going to see Matt Miazga and Cameron Carter Vickers. They didn't play against uh, Bolivia, but I have I'm pretty sure uh, Dave Sarkin was you know giving a, an opportunity to some others, Eric Palmer Brown and Walker's Rubin. And now I think we're going to see that Carter Vickers Miazga pairing that we've all been expecting to see. And they're going to get a contest against this Ireland team. So looking forward to that. Uh, and then I want to see what Sarkin does in the midfield, who he puts in the middle. There is no Christian Pulisic. What do you do with the playmaking role? Uh, obviously, when they played in March against Paraguay, 
he didn't really have a playmaker per se. He just played three central midfielders and tried to kind of rotate them around. Uh, and, you know, Tyler Adams was playing in a bit of an advanced role, which isn't really his thing. So for me, I'm hoping he doesn't do that again. I think Kenny Saif is is a guy who who can play in an, in that kind of number ten role in an attacking midfield role. Maybe you put Tyler Adams out wide, and then you play your Will Trap and Weston McKinney partnership behind Kenny Saif. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Uh, you know, I'm sure most U.S. fans, or not most, but I know a lot of U.S. fans are going to be saying, "Hey, play the kids again." Tim Weah, Josh Sargent, they scored goals in the, against Bolivia. Give them another chance. And look, I'm not saying don't give them a chance, but at the same time, you're not going to play. I don't think you're going to start them in all three of these games, right? I think for me, Tim Weah, I'd like to see him get. I'd like to see him get a start against France. Honestly, I mean, he plays for Paris Saint Germain, you know. It, so he, it, it's. A, I think that is tailor made for Tim Weah to play against France. So get you know, have a look at some of these other guys, Julian Green. I think it's someone you know. I'd like to see maybe see Rubio Rubin again. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, I, I don't think we'll necessarily see all the top young prospects play or start at least against Ireland. I think some of them will definitely play. They'll come off the bench, but I think you're going to see a more a, a little bit more of a veteran group starting against Ireland. And it's going. I think you're going to see similar a similar looking team play Ireland starting against Ireland as you see starting start against France. Uh, and you know, some people are going to say, oh no, play all the young guys, play the kids every game. No, listen folks, that's, uh, that's not, I don't think that's realistic. Uh, I I think you're going to see, you you know, especially when you talk about going up against a team like France, you're not going to put a, a, throw out a bunch of young and inexperienced players into a game like that. I just don't think that that really makes a lot of sense. So given that the two games are a week apart, I think you could see similar looking lineups for both these games. And I'm looking forward to it. I think this U.S. team is going to put up a much better effort and a much better performance than the U.S. team that lost in Dublin. They lost 4-1 to back in 2014. Up next, we have to talk about the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame announcing their class of 2018. And uh, you had two players who were voted in through the normal voting process and that was Brad Friedel, who I, I think it's safe to say most people expected to, to be one of the selections. And the other was Tiffany Milbritt, the U.S. Women's National Team star. Uh, obviously, two very clear-cut choices. Uh, and, and it's good to see we didn't have anything in, as far as a fiasco with either of those two missing out. Those were by far, for me, the lock selections. But for me, I think it was a little disappointing to see Carlos Bocanegra not get in on this ballot. I mean, former U.S. captain, uh, multiple World Cups, excellent career in Europe. Uh, I just think he really he ticked all the boxes. And I just realized, I, I just had some real questions about just the voting. And, and I've written about it before and I've discussed it before, just the whole setup, the voting setup and just feeling like there's just, a, just too much of a division in the voting pool. And you just clearly have some people who don't vote for who you know you have voting blocks basically you have voting blocks uh, it, it, i feel like there is a division between those who follow men's men the men's game and those who follow the women's game and you have to be a pretty transcendent player uh to get voted get the votes from both both constituents right both voting blocks and i think from that standpoint that's why you know some players that maybe have have you know spent more time over in europe and haven't played an mls they don't necessarily have that 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 same uh, exposure or that same uh, notoriety here, and it hurts their cause. I mean, Steve Trundle. I'm sorry for me. The biggest bla- the biggest farce for me is the fact that Steve Trundle did not even get 50 percent of the vote for the Hall of Fame. I mean, I think that's ridiculous. The guy Steve Trundle easily, easily, easily one of the best defenders in the history of the U.S. national team, and you could argue. One, uh, you know, maybe the best fullback, definitely maybe one of the best right backs in the game. I mean, for the U.S. men's national team in the history of the U.S. national team, and and he can't even get fifty percent of the vote. And I just think for me that that one, I, I can't say I was completely shocked, but it was disappointing. It was definitely disappointing. And I think for me, the only kind of consolation in this whole thing is that maybe we'll see Bocanegra and Chirondolo voted in together in the same class in twenty nineteen. Which would be a great touch because, for those of you who don't know, Bocanegra and Chirondolo 
are very, 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 very close friends, and they have been for for ages, forever. And I think it would be a nice touch if they went in together. So from that standpoint, okay, you know, you want to see. Hopefully, hopefully that happens. Hopefully, the voters figure it out, and they take a closer look at Steve Chirondolo's resume because I think it's a little ridiculous. And uh, I know another another person who uh, among the others who who were included in in the class of twenty eighteen, you had Cindy. Parlo Cohn, the former U.S. Uh, women's national team striker, uh, now a coach in, in the NWSL. And uh, it's funny enough, she was actually one of the very, she might have been the very first U.S. women's national team player that I ever did a feature on. And this was during the 1999 World Cup. And, uh, you know, obviously she was a good, she was a good player, very good player. And uh, she was voted in through the Veterans uh, Committee. Uh, she was the leading vote getter in that category. So she wasn't in the general voting uh, so, but she got she got in. She's uh, that, that's another wi- uh, women's selection, and then you had Don Garber, uh, who was who's selected as a, as a builder. And I knew as soon as I saw that Don Garber had been been voted to the Hall of Fame, that it was definitely uh, going to ruffle some feathers. You're definitely going to have some people who, who obviously can't stand Don Garber and think Don Garber's everything wrong with American soccer. I mean, speaking just realistically, what he was able to do with MLS, helping MLS turn a corner. At a time when you know really MLS hit rock bottom, shortly after he took over, uh, I mean I still remember I still remember when you had contraction and when you had Tampa Bay and Miami fold and the league was on shaky ground and you know what think about that at that point we're talking about a ten team league and now here we are fourteen fifteen years later and now we've just seen Team Twenty Four approved and we're gonna have twenty four teams next year. So we've gone from ten teams to twenty-four teams, in you know in the sixteen in the seventeen or eighteen years uh, since Garber took over and and since you know things have have completely turned around. So from that standpoint, I mean, could you wait? Have could you have waited till Garber was no longer the commissioner to put him in the Hall of Fame? I mean, probably. But you know what? I think he has done quite a bit for the game. As much as I know, there are definitely people who can't stand our Garber and who think that. He, along with, you know, people who run MLS are everything that's wrong with the game. Speaking of such people, we have to talk about Rocco Camiso, the New York Cosmos owner, uh, the man who presented U.S. soccer with a $500 million plan to start and operate a league uh, that, you know, that he was hoping would have a 10-year window to build itself up to become a, a a first division league and clearly U.S. soccer decided listen we have we have a first division league we are not going to give you a free and clear runway to build your own and give you first division uh, designation just because you're committing now x amount of money we have a league I think that's pretty much what U.S. soccer is saying there already is a first division league and if you want to build something that can eventually get there you can go through the normal steps. You can attempt to go through the normal steps, but you aren't just going to throw down a credit card and say, listen, I will commit half a billion dollars, but I want to have this first division league in 10 years. And obviously that was never that was never going to happen. It was never going to be approved. There is a league. MLS is, is here. MLS isn't going anywhere. It's a 2014 it's league now. It's only getting bigger. It's only growing. And, and I know people have their issues with the way MLS is run. And the sense that that MLS is, is a monopoly and that there is no promotion and relegation, I totally understand that. I totally get that. But the the proposal that Rocco Camiso presented, uh, I just I it was never realistic. It was never realistic. And for me, if you are are so adamant about building a league, or creating a league, create it without the sanctioning, create it without the without the necessary necessary. Uh, commitments of guaranteed sanctioning at certain levels. I mean, you know what? Build a league. Build a league. See what you can do with that league without the sanctioning. And and I know that's not ideal, but there is already a league in place. You already have, have had this league for 20 plus years now. 20, what is it? What are we on now? 22, 23 seasons. Uh, and it's growing and flourishing. And you're not just going to, you know, jump the line because you have the money to throw around and all of a sudden have a, a new league that's going to be on the same level as MLS and have the same designation as MLS, even if it's 10 years from now. So 
you know what? We'll see what Rocco Camuso does. Obviously, he has several lawsuits uh, pending right now uh, with U.S. Soccer, against U.S. Soccer and MLS. And he's going to keep fighting the fight. And uh, you know what? I wish him well in, in the sense that I hope that he, at some point, takes these resources and puts them towards trying to build something that isn't also trying to tear down what is already built and what is already being built. And I know some people say, hey, what's already here and what's in place is is getting in the way. It's getting in the way of, of other people, of other potential leagues, potential owners. I don't really see it that way because you know what? If teams want to own, if people want to own a team in USL, they can do that. If people want to want to if they feel they have a market where things can can flourish and thrive they can put a team in usl and we have now seen with fc cincinnati that if you do it right you can be at mls in in the snap of a finger i mean how, how long has fc cincinnati been around right i mean think about how quickly we have seen that 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 happen in in cincinnati so from that standpoint i know it's not the classic promotion relegation but i think and I've said this before. I don't think we'll. I don't think we'll see promotion and relegation until we see two strong leagues, uh, uh, an MLS that's strong, and then a second division that's that's at least stronger than what the USL, USL is now. And I tell you what, folks, USL for what it's doing, for all it's doing, as much as it's growing, it has a long way to go. And it, everywhere from talent to salaries. Just in the in the in the makeup, but it's growing, and it's good to see that. And for me, I I actually would love to see someone like Rocco Camiso and and other people like him who who aren't necessarily wanting to buy into the MLS structure. I'd like to see them build a league to compete against ML to compete with what's already here. Uh, and I know some people say, well, why don't you give them Division One sanctioning? It's not going to happen. There already is one Division One. You're not going to have two Division Ones. So. Uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens because at the end of the day, if if Rocco Camiso loses all these lawsuits, he's got to figure something else out. And if he's serious about about the game and about about helping the game in this country, he's not going to just take his ball and go home. If he can't get exactly what he wants, if he can't just barge his way in to the structure that's in place, and that's what it feels like. It feels like it feels like he's the rich guy who wants to get his way. And if he can't get his way, and if he can't set his own rules, then he's gonna stir and stir up hornet's nest, and that's really what what he's done. And I'm not I'm not here to say that everything that MLS has done and, and does do is is 100 kosher, 100 by the by the by the book. Because I tell you right now, the whole situation in Columbus is an ugly one. The whole the whole fact that Anthony Precourt is is so openly ready to try to rip Columbus the crew out of Columbus. I mean, that's not a good look. For MLS, so no one can. I, I personally can't sit here and act like MLS is without fault. But having said that, it's still a league that is growing, that that's improving, that's establishing more and more of a footprint. And just because you have an owner who has who has the money to throw around, doesn't mean all of a sudden you're going to shake everything up and everything's going to change, and they're going to get what they want. It's just not going to happen. Up next, we have to talk MLS, and the big headline for the week, without question, is Cincinnati, the city of Cincinnati, and the team, FC Cincinnati, securing the next MLS expansion team. And it's not a huge surprise that Cincinnati was chosen, but I think the big news, or the surprising news, is the fact that Cincinnati will begin play in 2019 in MLS. So they'll be here next season. So we're talking less than a year, uh, which seems a little crazy, but when you look at the support that they've already had in that city for that team... You can understand why MLS is confident that they can hit the ground running, at least from a support standpoint. Now, in terms of building a team, in terms of building a, a team that can, from day one, compete, that's a whole other thing. And it's it, it's easier said than done. And I know people will see what Atlanta was able to do, what LAFC is doing, and they think, you know what, we can do that. It's easy. Or not that it's easy, but it can be done. And yes, it can be done. But that's where Cincinnati, I think, really is going to have to figure out who's 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 running that, who's leading the way in terms of building that team. It sounds like they, they, they're they set on their, their coach to, to be the same coach from USL to move up to MLS. Uh, in terms of uh, front office, the front office set up, uh, my man Luke Sassano 
uh, former New York Red Bull is the general manager right now. But we'll see. We'll see how those guys do. It's a whole different thing being in MLS uh, and and you know buying players at, at a completely different price point uh, and and trying to keep up with teams that are spending millions and millions of dollars like the Atlanta Uniteds, like the LAFCs and NYCFCs, Toronto FCs. All, all the FCs spending the millions of dollars. So we'll see what Cincinnati does and how they're able to, uh, uh, you know, stack up in year one. It, it's not going to be easy. And I'm sure that uh, I'm not the only person that saw that news about Cincinnati and imme- immediately wondered, what does that mean for the city of Columbus? And I know Don Garber it came out and said that one one has nothing to do with the other. It doesn't mean Columbus is definitely leaving or that the crew is definitely leaving Columbus. But I don't know, folks. I, I can't. I can't help but look at that and feel like that's just another nail in the coffin. And and it's it's crazy. It's unfortunate. Uh, I mean, I don't really. I really don't want Columbus to leave. I don't want the crew to leave Columbus. I don't think. I don't think most people will do. And I love Austin. I'd love for MLS to have a team in Austin, but not at the expense of of, of having the crew in Columbus. Uh, and then when you see the the pre court group putting out stadium renderings for the the, the stadium in Austin. Uh, it all really is looking like we're going to see Columbus lose its team, and it's it's really unfortunate. Hopefully, there's a way to... Hopefully, it doesn't happen, but it, for me, it's hard to not look at all that, not look at Cincinnati getting in, and not see it as writing on the wall that we're going to see that team move. We're going to see the crew move to Austin, and uh, that's definitely going to be a, a... If it happens, it's going to absolutely be a dark day in MLS and it's going to be clearly it's going to clearly be a black mark for MLS and I am going to be very curious to see what happens if that goes down how that affects things for MLS going forward because I have to say from here on out you are going to hear about that everywhere they go every market they try to go into they're going to ha- it's going to be that way. it's going to get tougher it's going to make things a lot tougher because what what other cities are 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 going to, are going to look at that and not feel a little, a little worried that you know what why do we want to invest hundreds of millions or however much money to bring an MLS team to our city if you're just going to take it away in you know 20 years so that that that's uh hopefully it doesn't happen i know we're maybe it's jumping a gun a little bit to even discuss it i don't think so i think i think we you totally should discuss it now because it it right now is when it's looking not not that great uh so we'll see hopefully for the folks in columbus uh something where gets worked out pre-court can sell the team to people in Columbus. Hopefully he can go get his own team in Austin. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens from that. I mean, I hope we have Cincinnati versus Columbus and have another very good, you know, close proximity rivalry to add to the league's growing number of rivalries. You know, obviously we, we've added LAFC, LA Galaxy. Uh, even though it's not super close, you at least now in the South you have Orlando and Atlanta. Uh, and I think Cincinnati Columbus would be excellent. Hopefully that happens. Hey, fingers crossed. Hopefully we can get that. Uh, in other MLS news, Patrick Vieira has been it, churning. His name has been churning in the rumor mill for a good couple of weeks now uh, about him leaving NYCFC, heading to France, and and jo- joining Nice uh, in France, uh, a league league on team, French first division squad. And look, I think most people have come to accept that. This is probably it for Vieira in MLS this year, right? The question is, will he leave the team in the middle of the season to take an opportunity in Liga? Or is he going to, you know, honor his contract, see the year out, try to win a title, and then see where things go from there and leave in the winter? Obviously, that'd be an ideal situation. But you know what? If an opportunity, a good opportunity comes up in France now with a good team, I mean, I can totally understand him leaving now, and that's just that's just how it goes. I mean, just same the same goes with players, right? If if an opportunity comes in a transfer window, and you have a chance to jump, you make the jump. And, and you know, had, now that he's in in his last year of his contract, I mean, I can't blame Vieira for 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 weighing his options and and wanting to look at that possibility. And I'm sure the whole Arsenal situation has him feeling a certain kind of way, you know, because I don't I know he. He feels like he didn't get a fair shake or a realistic shake at the Arsenal job, that he wasn't seriously considered. And from that standpoint, I'm sure maybe now he's looking at at his time here in MLS and thinking, well, you know, I've put my time in here. I feel like I've done really well. 
but clearly like staying here isn't helping me get closer to the type of types of jobs that I would like to I, I would like to have one day and it's interesting because you know obviously it sounds like city football group wants to keep them uh and not just to keep them with NYCFC but keep them in their family maybe have him one day replace Pep Guardiola I mean who I mean who knows how long Guardiola would be at Man City it's not like I don't think I don't think anyone expects Guardiola to stay at Man City for 10 20 years um but again if you're Vieira are you going to wait that long? Are you going to wait that long for the Man City job to come open? Or are you now going to try and take over a good team in the French League and try to win with a team in the French League and take that next step up the ladder? And, and I don't begrudge him. I don't begrudge him at all. I think he's done excellent work with NYCFC. I think the league's been lucky to have a coach like him in the league. I think he's helped raise the bar. He's helped elevate the quality of coaching in this league. Uh, he is definitely, without question, one of the absolute best coaches in MLS. And it will be sad to see him go, but you understand why it's it might be time to go. So we'll see. I, I personally, I hope he sees the year out because I want to see what he's able to do with this third, this last full season with what he's, you know, the team that he, uh, that he and Claudio Arena and, and their front office has put together. They put together one heck of a team, a team that could absolutely challenge for a title, right? So if you're if you're Vieira, that's and that's again, that's the tricky thing, right? You've put two and a half years in here, uh, trying to build a, a, ch- a champion in NYCFC. You're feeling pretty good about the team that you have. Are you ready to walk away before you have that last opportunity to win a title? So that I'm sure that's something that he's wrestling with, and uh, and that's the decision that he's ultimately going to have to make. Do I want to see this out, try to win this title, add that first championship to my resume before I move on? Or do I just say, look, I'm going to cut bait now. I'm going to leave now. Take this opportunity in France. Uh, and it, you know what? And I I know, I know that everyone and their mother has been reporting that sources are saying that, that he's already gone. He's already signed the deal. I have not heard that he's already gone. But if he does leave, I don't think anyone should begrudge him. Because I think I think everyone can, can understand that we were always, it was always going to be that he was only going to be in MLS for a, a short, relatively short amount of time. And I think the league has been lucky to have him. Now, I know, we, I know we didn't get a chance to talk about last week's action because we didn't have an episode last week. I'm not going to go all the way back and get into, into the midweek results or last week. So we'll just we'll preview this weekend's MLS schedule. And I'll, I'll touch on a few different topics that, that are going on as we speak. So uh, first things first, Friday night. Colorado Rapids, Vancouver Whitecaps, two teams that are both in dire need of a win. The Whitecaps are on a run of draws. The Rapids are are, are mired in a, in a losing streak. And, you know, I just can't help. As far as Colorado goes, and I know I've, I'm pretty sure I've said it more than once, that, you know, I have my questions about Anthony Hudson as as a coach and how long a, how long a leash does he get in Colorado? How bad things – how bad do things have to get in Colorado before poor Rag Smith decides, you know what, this isn't working out? And – Again, the, 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 there's a lot riding on the uh, on that coaching hire for Porag Smith. Anthony Hudson, uh, you know that that was his hire. That was Porag Smith's hire, and you wonder if the Rapids ownership starts looking at the whole thing and says, "Hey, maybe we need to completely shake things, shake these things up." And right now, they need a win. If they don't beat Vancouver, if they lose again, if they lose to the Whitecaps, I mean, there's got to be some serious questions to start being asked, and and maybe we see a shakeup in Colorado, a shakeup that goes beyond the head coach. And and I think, you know what, it might be time. It might be time for that kind of shakeup. Uh, but again, as you might imagine, I, I Vancouver, I have Vancouver going to, to Colorado winning that game. Up next, Portland Timbers against the LA Galaxy. Timbers are on a roll. Uh, five, five match winning streak. Uh, Gio Savarese has really helped them hit their stride. Oh, my, my apologies. It's a six match winning streak for the Timbers. And they play an LA Galaxy team. That continues to struggle to find a good rhythm. Now the Galaxy had one two in a row. I should point that out. Uh, you know we missed those, you know while we were away. But look, the team, you know they beat a Montreal team that is awful right now. No other way to put it. Even though they were a man down, courtesy of Zlatan Ibrahimovic's slap red card slap, uh, they beat a Montreal team that was not very good. They beat a San Jose team. That's not very good. Two of the worst teams in the league, right? So I think at that point, maybe some Galaxy fans were feeling like, oh, yeah, here it is. Here's a turnaround. We're going to be a team that's a contender now. But guess what? Put the brakes on that because, boom, midweek they lose the FC Dallas 
three to two. FC Dallas is a good team, right? I mean, they're one of the better teams, so there's no shame in that. But at the same time, it's still the same questions with the Galaxy and their defense. Is their defense good enough against better opponents? Now, obviously, they got a pair of shutouts against Montreal and San Jose, and then you start thinking, okay, maybe this defense is is, is going to be all right. And then they give up three goals to FC Dallas, and they looked they looked a mess. They looked a mess. So now they have to go to Portland and play a Timbers team that is perfect at home this season. And it's not going to be easy, folks. It's not going to be easy. I really I really think the Timbers are going to roll in that one. And if the Timbers roll in that, you, you know, you start to wonder what's going on with the Galaxy. I mean, I think most people know, look, their team as constructed is not a good team in terms of their defense. They're spending a lot of money on a defense that's not good at all. They've got a lot of pieces in their attack that don't quite fit perfectly. So, I mean, it's a tough it's a tough task for Siggy Schmidt and you know, you wonder how much how much of a leash does he get? I mean, I feel like that all we're doing here is talking about coaches maybe getting fired and coaches that should get fired, but I mean, for me, uh, I mean, we're talking a second straight year now. If they don't turn the they, they don't turn this around, if you're upper upper uh, galaxy ownership, you got to start asking yourselves what is going on here? LAFC has hit the ground running. LAFC is coming like a bolt of lightning into the market. They built, they they brought in an exciting, fun team, uh, a competitive team right off the bat, and and here we are. We're the galaxy. We're the cha- we're the te- we're the dynasty, and we can't put a team together. So that you know what, Chris Klein, I know I know he was doing a victory lap after the signing of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but I don't know. I don't. I mean, when does he start feeling the heat? After the, the the way things have gone, the way things have gone since Bruce Arena left, right? Since Bruce Arena went to take over the U.S. job, things have been a hot mess. And I know some people like will say, "Oh, well, you know, Bruce Arena he he picked the right time to leave because you know the 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 Galaxy were were in heading in that direction to fall apart." I don't see it that way. For me, I think Bruce Arena just knows how to build a team in MLS, and he's a good talent talent evaluator. The Galaxy. If, if Bruce Arena was still running the Galaxy, if Bruce Arena had never left the Galaxy, this Galaxy team would not look the way it looks right now. Because I tell you what, he would not have signed Jermaine Jones. He would not have signed Jao Pedro. He would not have signed, you know, most of these defenders who are making all this money. He wouldn't have done it. And he would have brought he would have brought in some better players. So that that's now you start to ask. It's not it's not just about Siggy Schmidt, folks. You start to ask about the front office. You start to ask about Chris Klein. You, you start to ask about Peter Vajenas, who's still there. I don't know why, but he's still there. Jovan Karavsky's still there. Um, Kurt Schmitz, he's been there half a, half a year. Uh, I think if anything, you know, if anyone, if there's anyone that should be safe there, it should be Kurt Schmidt because I don't think he's been there long enough to really make an impact. And I think he's someone that, for me, is one of the more promising front office types in the league, what a, like in, in terms of prospects, uh, in terms of people who could be the next, uh, you know, Tim Bezbachenko or the next, you know, Goth Lagaway. I mean, Kurt Schmidt could be that guy. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. If they keep losing, Chris Klein, I think he's going to start feeling it, man. Because I, I, I just don't, I just don't think uh, selling, you know, a ton of Zlatan Ibrahimovic jerseys is going to cut it as enough for these guys to keep their jobs, these upper management types to keep their jobs. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't think that that turnaround is going to start in Portland, though. I think the Timbers are going to take care of business. Next, we have the at, we have Atlanta United taking on the red-hot Philadelphia Union. And how about the Union? I got to give Jim Kirk credit. And I know most people know that I usually pick the Union to do well, to do better than they end up doing. And I think it's great to see right now that you know they came into the season with a, with a plan, right? They came into the season, they were going to play their young players, they were going to play young defenders, which is always a risk, right? It's always risky when you throw out young defenders and you want and, and you, how are they going to hold up? And look at the Union now. Uh, they get a you know they get a point in a shutout at Red Bull Arena. They've been able to put together uh, a nice run of results, now a nice run of wins. Uh, f- three wins out of four, and the one that they didn't win was the draw at the Red Bulls. And as good as all that's been, it's a whole different thing to go to Atlanta and play the, the most dangerous attack in the league. 
But you know what? This is exactly the kind of test that Jim Curtin, I'm sure, loves to see for his young team. Because how else is it is this young defense going to continue to improve if it doesn't go up against the best in the league? Eventually, you got to play the best teams in the league, the best attacks in the league, uh, and see how they stack up. And and you know what? Atlanta United, as far as tests go, that's as tough a test as you're going to find. So I think it's going to be a, it's a great matchup. I like Atlanta. I, I have to say, you know, as much as you know, the the Union have, have really done a good job defensively. I just think Atlanta for me, even though Atlanta, you know, they they went to New England, they got a draw. Before that, they lost to the Red Bulls in, a, in what was a very weird game. Um, so they're almost in a little bit of a slump. They've only won one out of their last four games. Uh, it's a little tricky. It's a little misleading. Uh, it doesn't show the quality that Atlanta actually has and the, and the way they played in those games. But I think they rebound in this, and I think Atlanta's going to roll. Uh, no no offense to the, to the streaking union. I think, again, the union deserves respect. Jim Curtin deserves a ton of credit, and I don't I don't think he gets nearly the credit he deserves for doing what he does with what has to be one of the lowest payrolls in the league uh, in terms of what they spend. I know that they spend on certain players, and I know some people will say, oh, you know, Bedoya, Akam, uh, you know, they have some guys who make some money. Yes, that's true, but in terms of overall spending, it's one of the cheaper teams in the league in terms of spending, so... It's not an easy place to win, and I don't think just anybody could go there and win. So we'll see, we'll see, uh, we'll see if Jim Curtin can, and the Union can keep it going. But I'm going to go with Atlanta in that one. Next up, we have for me uh, what might be the game of the weekend: Columbus Crew playing host to Toronto FC. And I know they have the Trillium Cup that this you know rivalry that this kind of unnatural rivalry that they have there. But for me, it's all about the fact that the Columbus Crew are on a roll. The you know they they they. They have one of the they have the longest unbeaten streak in the league right now, and they're playing without two of their top players in Zach Steffen and Will Trapp, who are both with the U.S. national team in Europe. So the crew are going to have to deal without having those two guys going up against a Toronto FC team that is still trying to find its way back onto the fast lane to find its way back into the upper echelon of the standings in the East, where we all expected them to be. Now, we know about the struggles, we know about the injuries, and we know about the players that they've been missing. But this is a game that Toronto has to have. Toronto needs to win this game. And, it, and again, look, it's not it's not easy winning on the road in MLS. Not a lot of teams are, 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 are consistent with being able to do that. But if you're Toronto, you need to go and win in Columbus. And as tough as Columbus's defense has been, and I know they've been on this incredible shutout streak, I think I think Toronto's got to get it done, and I think they're going to get it done. I think this is the game where we see what the champions are made of. We see what Javinko, Victor Vasquez, and the like, and Michael Bradley. What they, you know, we see them step up and win a game. The team has to have, and I'm going to go with Toronto in this one, a close one, absolutely. I can see the crew winning it, but I'm going to go with Toronto in this one. I think they rebound. Up next, Montreal Impact, Houston Dynamo. The Impact are a hot mess, folks. I don't know. I don't know what other way to say it. They they're, they're a hot mess. Joy Saputo, I mean, cannot be happy. I mean, here he, he, when he, he looks at the standings, he looks at the, at how bad his team has won one match out of nine. They've lost eight of nine matches, and Remy Guard, Remy Guard is it's got to be on the hot seat. And I think for me, the only thing that will give him a longer rope is the fact that Joey Saputo put a lot into hiring. Remy Guard, he he recruited him. He was his target. He saw him as being the answer, and no, he has not been the answer. And and the fact that it was Saputo who brought him in is probably buying Remy Guard a bit more time than maybe he deserves. And the reason I say that is you just look at Montreal and you just look at the way that they've played. They've been a bit of a, just been a, a mess. And and when you look at the results that they have managed to get, I mean, a lot. It's usually Ignacio Piatti just going nuts. It's not a case of necessarily good team, constructive team play and and, 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 a, and a group effort and, and tactics. It's it's really whenever Ignacio Piatti just goes nuts, they find a way to get a result. And 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 failing that, they're not going to get results. And that's why they're probably why they've lost eight of nine matches now, and why it's tough to pick the it's tough to pick them to win at home, even though they're playing a the Houston team. That is is not that good at home, uh, not that good on the road. But you know what? I'm gonna go with the Dynamo in that one, just because it's hard to pick Montreal right now, as bad as they are. And 
I'm curious, folks, how long does Saputo give Remy guard? And when does he just kind of finally say, yeah, you know what? I got this one wrong. Maybe I need to start looking within North America for an answer and a coach. Uh, and I got to say, I wonder, part of me wonders if Saputo sits around and thinks about his decision to basically run Jesse Marsh out of Montreal. A coach who right now is easily one of the top coaches in MLS. Some people would say Jesse Marsh is the best coach in MLS. And and with the work that he's done in, in, in New York, I'm sure Saputo kicks himself. And if he doesn't, he should kick himself for losing out on a coach who clearly, if he had given him time, would have done much better than the coaches who followed him. Up next, New England and the New York Red Bulls. Speaking of Jesse Marsh, and speaking of coaches who have come in and done well, uh, first-year coaches, but the opposite of Remy Gard, a first-year coach who's doing well. We have Brad Friedel, New England Revolution, against Jesse Marsh and the Red Bulls. The Red Bulls, without Tim Parker, Tyler Adams, who are both with the U.S. national team, going up to New England to face a New England team that, look, they, again, they, they have still, I still think they're exceeding expectations. Uh, they've slowed down a bit, though, right? I mean, they've only got one win in their in their last five. Uh, some tough opponents that they've had on that run, and this is going to be a good one, right? I like this one because through the years, the Red Bulls have not really done that well going up to New England. I feel like New England has been better this year at home. Uh, and now the fact that there's no Tyler Adams and no Tim Parker, I think those are those are some serious, those are some big absences for the Red Bulls. So as deep as they are, as much as I know they can plug in Aurelian Collin, as much as I know they have other central midfielders they can turn to to replace Adams, those are two guys that are tough to replace. So I think I, I'm going to give the edge to New England in this one. Uh, but this is going to be a good one. I think this is going to be a tightly contested match. It could go either way. I'm going to go New England in this one just because they're at home. And, and I think they've been a bit uh, better at home. And I think the Red Bulls are going to miss Tyler Adams and Tim Parker. So now I think we're going to have to run through some of these games here. They're taking too long game by game. But NYCFC, Orlando City, big game. Another good Eastern Conference tilt. Now when Orlando went to NYCFC earlier in the season, uh, they were obviously missing quite a few players. Uh, so it wasn't quite the team that they're going to take to NYCFC this time around. That being said, I still like NYCFC in this one. Orlando's uh, has hit a bit of a slump uh, as of late. I know they, they have had some injury issues. I know Dom Dwyer was out last game. Uh, so we'll see. I, I think Orlando's going to put up a better fight than they did the last time these teams played there. But I still i am going to go with NYCFC in this one. I just think them being at home... Um, as good as they are at Yankee Stadium, I think I, th- I just think I'm going to give them the edge to beat Orlando City in that one. FC Dallas and LAFC, which probably is going to be the most entertaining game of the weekend. Uh, you know, FC Dallas has, has been on a nice run. They've only lost once so far this season. Uh, their defense is very good, but their defense is going to be tested now. I know Carlos Vela is with the Mexican national team. LAFC is going to miss him, no question about it, uh, along with some of the other players that are already away on international duty. But still, LAFC's attack, I think it still caused some problems for, LA, for, for FC Dallas. Uh, I still like FC Dallas to win the game. I think they've been very good at home. And I think LAFC, I know they, they had some decent results in their early season road swing. But I'm going to go with FC Dallas in this one. I just like the way they've been playing. And I like the way their defense has been playing. Uh, so I'll give them the edge in that one. Chicago Fire, San Jose Earthquakes. And we're talking two teams again. Two teams not necessarily. This is, I think, the one team matchup uh, that doesn't feature teams from the same conference. Uh, the Chicago Fire, they're a bit of a mixed bag, right? Uh, we know they're, they're being forced to play a lot of rookies. Uh, they're waiting for the next transfer window to open up to, add, to make some really important, some necessary additions to their team. Uh, they've lost three out of their last four matches, but they're at home. And they're going up against the San Jose team that only has, what, one win in their two, four, set, last seven matches? One win in seven? Actually, it's more than seven. It's one. They've only won one match since the season opening win for them. So they're a bit of a mess as well. And again, we're talking another first-year coach with no ties to, to American soccer coming in and struggling. And I know... There have been coaches who've come in with no ties to American soccer and done well. We've seen it. We saw it with Patrick Vieira. We saw it with Tata Martino. But I think it's pretty clear that, you know, I mean, uh, those are obviously two of the better coaches in the league. But I, I mean, I just think it's not easy. And it never has been easy for coaches to come in 
and and really not have a good grasp of, of the, the league itself. And if you don't have a strong front office behind you, and again, I think when you look at Vieira and you look at Martino, I feel like they both had good strong good front offices behind them to help them with the transition. I don't believe San Jose has a good front office. I don't, you know, so, you, and you know what? Look at the team they've put together. Look at the results they've been getting. Um, I don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, you know what? And and that's a, a similar question here as with Colorado, right? Um, with poor Ike Smith and him really kind of, you know, the spotlight will be on him the more that Anthony Hudson struggles. And in San Jose, you have to start looking at Jesse Fiorinelli. Jesse Fiorinelli came in. He made a lot of changes. He shook a lot of things up. He made the decision not to retain Chris Leach as his coach, even though Chris Leach got the earthquakes to the playoffs after taking over for Dom Kinnear. He brings in his coach from Sweden. His coach is not necessarily established. Michael Starr, not necessarily establishing himself as as a as a you know top level coach so far. It's early, but what's going to happen? What's going to happen in San Jose? How much of a rope will the earthquakes? be given uh, how much of a rope will Fiorinelli be given and I think the pressure is on him just as much as it is on the coach that he's hired uh, and I think that pressure is going to continue if they can't get a result in Chicago now I know the last road swing that San Jose had they were able to get some results so maybe they can do it again and Chicago is far from you know this unbeatable team the far the fire have been pretty vulnerable but I'm going to go with the fire in that one I think the fire uh, get a uh, get a victory at home next up Real Salt Lake and Seattle Sounders. And I know you're probably thinking, wait, didn't they just play? Didn't they just play like a week ago? Yes, they just played a week ago. RSL won in Seattle. And they've actually won three out of four matches. They've started to hit. They're starting to hit a bit of a stride. Um, Mike Pecky's team is starting to kind of come together a little bit. And, um, you know, the win in Houston, I think, was big for them on Wednesday, uh, giving them some momentum. Meanwhile, Seattle is still in the same boat, right? Seattle, uh, a lot of injuries. Uh, you know, they're missing a ton of personnel. They needed to make some additions in the transfer window. They didn't do it. They're waiting till the summer. They're kind of holding on now. They only have two wins. It's getting tougher and tougher to see Seattle turn things around completely, especially when they just don't have they they don't have the personnel with all the injuries that they had. And all the the un the kind of unused uh, transfer funds, the the slots that they didn't fill. You're talking between the injuries and the players that weren't signed. I mean, you're probably talking five, four or five uh, players, the equivalent of four or five players that would be in their lineup that would be upgrades for them right now. And without those, without that, without half of a team, it's tough for Seattle. It's especially against a team like RSL, who's starting to find their rhythm, especially on the road at altitude. So I see another another long day for the Sounders, and I think RSL is going to take that one uh, in, uh, in Sandy, Utah. And last game of Week 14, Sporting Kansas City, Minnesota United. I know folks in Minnesota are going to say, oh, we just played them. We just, we just, we just tied them in, in Minnesota. Why can't we go to Kansas City, get a result there? Yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair question. However, uh, it, it definitely should be pointed out, Kansas City is very tough at home. I know they just tied Columbus uh, 0-0, but Columbus is is in some of the best form in the league. So uh, for me, I, I just don't see Minnesota going to Kansas City and getting a result. I think KC wins comfortably in that one. And I think that's it for MLS. Uh, we we've Now that we've covered all the bases in terms of American soccer, we definitely want to talk some international soccer this time around. And uh, obviously with the Champions League, the UEFA Champions League just finishing up, Real Madrid beating Liverpool on what was a crazy, crazy final uh, between Mo Salah's injury, uh, Loris Karius's unbelievable goalkeeper blunders. It was just a weird, it was just a weird day. It was a weird day. Uh, credit to Madrid. They win their third title in a row. And I don't care what anyone says. Look, as far as the season goes, it wasn't a great season for them. They finished third in La Liga, 17 points out of first. They didn't dominate the competition. This is this 2017-2018 Real Madrid team is not going to be remembered as some dominant team, as some best ever candidate team. They weren't. But you know what? They knew how to win. They knew how to do just enough to get by what was a very tough string of opponents in the Champions League. And you know what? We'll never know what would have happened. 
if Mo Salah hadn't gotten injured. And I really think they, re- I think Liverpool had a great chance to win that game if Mo Salah doesn't get injured. And obviously, Carius with the blunders. I mean, no one can, no one ever accounts for multiple goalkeeper blunders in a game of that magnitude. I don't think I've ever seen two errors as bad as that by a goalkeeper in a game anywhere close to that big. So, you, you know, part of you obviously feels for Carrius because I'm sure he didn't want to have the worst game of his life uh, in the biggest game of his life. But you know what? That's the thing about a team like Real Madrid. They capitalize. They take advantage when the other team makes mistakes. And we saw it in the tournament over and over. And how about Gareth Bale? He didn't play as much as he would have liked all year. He had his injuries early on. He struggled for a consistent role. I'm sure he was already here. I'm sure he already had one eye on the exit door to go, whether it's to Man United or go back to Tottenham. It was probably time for him to go. And then he goes out here, scores these two big goals. All of a sudden, people are like, wait a minute. You can't let him leave. This is our Champions League ace in the hole. He's done it now in two Champions League finals where he has delivered scoring goals. So now you wonder, is he going to stick around? And I'm not even going to talk about the whole Cristiano Ronaldo post-game tease-a-thon where he comes out and says, oh, I don't know if I'm... Where he pretty much hinted at the idea that he could leave Real Madrid. I don't see him going anywhere. He's got a contract. It it would cost way too much money for any team to get him out of it. He's not exactly young. So who's going to spend that money? I just think... I don't... He was just... It was just him being him. It was just him being that... Needing that spotlight. Needing to... He didn't score a goal. And, and look, props to the pitch invader who came out late in the game and kept him from the garbage time goal that would have inevitably led to him taking his shirt off, even though he had real no real impact in the outcome of the game. We were spared that, so thank you, pitch invader. Hopefully you're not still in jail. Um, but I guess Ronaldo felt, you know what? I didn't do anything in the game. I got to do something to get some attention here. So... He, he says what he says, hints at maybe leaving. He's not going. I don't see him going anywhere. I know, uh, you know, so it's just I, it's just typical Ronaldo. You hate to hear it. You hate to see it. You hate to see him take away attention from what should have been about them winning a title, them winning their third straight title, uh, and what that meant for them as a club. And and you know what? It's But it is, it is what it is. That's what Ronaldo, you know, you should have waited a couple of days if you're going to drop a bombshell like that. Kind of like your manager, Zinedine Zidane has stepped down as Real Madrid manager, which I'm sure was a shock to some people. But when you really look at it, you kind of understand, right? Because number one, people wanted Zidane out during the season. People, even though he'd won two Champions League in a row, even though he had a you know a truckload of trophies in two years in charge, people were not happy with how things were going in the league. People wanted him out in the middle of the season. So I'm sure he looked at it and says, listen, I'm going to be constantly living my life as Real Madrid coach with a knife at my throat. Why even bother doing that when I can walk out with three Champions League titles and I can just chill and enjoy life? I never got the impression that Zidane was a coaching lifer. I never got that impression at all. And uh, I mean, I remember talking to Kaká a year ago and, and he pretty much said the same thing that, you know, he never saw Zidane as like a coaching lifer or as someone who is really going to put that much time into coaching and and I think from that standpoint if you think about the type of person he is you can see him stepping away and not feeling at all badly about doing it and now he steps away and I look forward to seeing where he goes after he takes a break because again he's going to take a break Zidane is going to chill out for a while is he going to coach France? Uh, is he going to go somewhere else? Go to Italy maybe? I don't know where he's going to go, but I think he's going to take a break. Who takes over at Real Madrid? Is it going to be Arsene Wenger? Is it going to be Mauricio Pochettino? Is it uh, you know? Is it going to be uh, the Argentina manager? I, it's. I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see who takes over because uh, I think they have to shake things up. I think they have to make some serious changes. Um, because, look, they've had that group together for three years now. It's not easy to keep a team fresh and keep a team hungry and motivated for that long when you're not adding key pieces, when you're not adding new blood. And 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 I think that only adds to the kind of mystique of what Zidane was able to do, that he was able to keep that group together, keep that group motivated, and keep that group on course to win three titles. Uh, expecting them to try to do it a fourth time with that same group, I just don't think was realistic. Now, 
we'll see who their new coach is, and we'll see what he does with that squad. Um, but I'll tell you what, folks, we have to talk about Mo Salah. Definitely a heartbreaking moment there. Um, him getting injured, missing out. Uh, and then, obviously, the concern right away. Is he going to miss the World Cup? As it stands right now, it sounds like they don't think he will. It sounds like maybe he'll miss the first match. Uh, I mean, hopefully he's back. Hopefully he can play. Uh, it would it would have been such a blow because he has been such a feel-good story. Uh, by all accounts, such an incredible human being. And obviously having uh, a dream year, a dream year for club and country, leading Egypt to the World Cup, leading Liverpool to the Champions League final. If he would have been knocked out of the World Cup, that would have just been devastating. Devastating. And never mind what the folks in Egypt would have wanted to do to Sergio Ramos. And I, th- I still think they want to find him. So I think Sergio Ramos can 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 check off Egypt as a future destination because I don't think he'll ever want to set foot there uh, for fear of being thrown in jail for what he did to uh, what he did to Mosala. And for me, the biggest news of the week, the best news of the week, Paulo Guerrero is going to the World Cup. He is playing in the World Cup. He has been cleared to play the Peruvian striker who had been suspended for a failed drug test for cocaine metabolites uh, due to drink tea that he had uh, that he had uh, while he was sick, uh, and he was popped for a failed drug test. They were going to keep him out of the World Cup. He took it to court. Uh, a court in Switzerland has 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 ruled that he that this will be decided after the World Cup and that he will play in the World Cup. I'm excited. I'm not going to pretend to be biased about it. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm rooting for Peru. My my, my family's Peruvian backgrounds. Peruvian. I'll be rooting for Peru, and it means so much to the people of Peru to have their best player, their captain, back on the team. Especially when, for how many months now, it really looked like he might not be there. It really looked like he wasn't going to play and. I feel like a lot of people were kind of already resigned to the fact that he wouldn't play. And that and the fact that he's now going to play, it's amazing. I'm excited. I'm ordering my Peru jerseys as we speak. I'm going to get off the podcast, go interview, go go hit the internet and order my jerseys. I don't know where I'm ordering them from yet. Uh, I do not have a plug at, uh, at Umbro. I do not have a plug at any of these places. I got to go buy my own jerseys like everyone else. I don't know where I'm going to buy them yet because... I, for the life of me, apparently all the two X Peru jerseys are gone everywhere. Look, Peruvian people, we like to eat. We have the best food in the world, so there's a lot of two X's that are being sold. Let's, let's just let's just put it that way. I need a two X. I'll see if I can find one. But you know what? Great news that Peru that that Pablo Guerrero will be at the World Cup. And uh, I think that's it. I think we've covered everything. We've covered a lot of topics. My apologies that I was not able to get a guest this time around. I am efforting to bring back guests for next week uh i don't know if we'll have one or two episodes next week we absolutely will have at least one episode next week i want to try to start having two episodes definitely around the world cup time i want to start having uh, a couple of episodes during the week see if we can pull that off um so i know a lot i know there are people out here who do not like the single uh just me by myself episodes where it's just me talking for an hour straight uh, you know, so apologies for that. I, w- I definitely want to start having guests, uh, start having some guest co-hosts as well. Uh, speaking of, of of SBI show co-hosts, I must tell you guys, Garrett Cleverly is a dad. Congratulations to Garrett Cleverly, my former SBI show co-host, uh, on the birth of his son. He is a dad. He's joined the Dads Club. He is all grown up. My man, Garrett Cleverly, we'll have to have him on soon to talk about being a dad and and, uh, and everything else. We had him on a couple episodes ago. It was great to have him back on. And who knows? Maybe when things settle, maybe we'll get him on more regularly. I miss the guy. And I know some of you miss him as well. And uh, you know what? We had we had a great time uh, as co-hosts. And uh, you know what? We'll have to uh, we'll have to reprise that at least a, a couple of times here and there uh, if we can. So uh, that's it. That's all for now. Uh, next week, we'll obviously talk about U.S. versus Ireland. We'll preview U.S. versus France. We'll talk about MLS Week 14 and everything else there is to discuss. And, of course, we'll start talking World Cup as that gets closer. Uh, so that's all for now. Thank you for listening. And, again, if you have any any questions, suggestions, critiques, feel free to pass them along, whether you do it on the SBI, site, SBI Soccer site itself or you do it in the iTunes uh, comment section. Definitely leave a review if you can. We haven't had a iTunes review since 
the most recent return of the show. I would love to just see some reviews there just to give me an idea. Let me know what, we, we, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see more of, what you'd like to see less of. And, uh, and I'm going to try to make those changes for you. So definitely send your input if you can. But that's it for now. That's all for now. I'm Ivan Scalarsa. This is The SBI Show.